you know, there's certainly a lot of people that have never met a Jewish person. That's fine. Be respectful and ask the questions, and then you'll know. All right, passengers, attention, uh, PS9, we have more business in the area, working on the track. Welcome to Deeper Dish. Welcome back to Deeper Dish. I know it's been a minute since I've released an episode, and I apologize, but life took over, work, illness, all those things that you really don't care about. What you probably do care about is my next guest, Maggie. Maggie comes on to talk about spirituality, her faith, her faith's culture, also raising a family and sharing her faith and its history with her family and her children and having those tough discussions. Hope you enjoy. I want to welcome Maggie here. She's here to talk about her spirituality, what it means to her, for her, to her and her family. But before we get into that, what is your connection to Chicago? So it's actually quite random how I landed here, um, originally from the East Coast, and thought that that was going to be where I was going to stay. But there's something called the residency match, and I matched in Chicago, cried a lot about it initially. Came to Chicago, the first day I was pretty much ever here besides interviewing was when I walked into my apartment in the South Loop that my husband had rented without me there at all. So that was my welcome to Chicago, which was great. Were you married at the time? Mm -hmm. Residency is what age? I was 27. So let's back up a little bit. Sure. You said you cried when you heard you were coming to Chicago. Is it because of the city or you didn't get your first choice? I hope it was not the city. Well, I have to say that I think that people from the East Coast have this like inherent bias against the Midwest. I don't know if that was really it. To be quite honest with you, like my husband, who's a consultant, decided to put it on our list because he knew it would be good for him. (laughs) No, no, that came out wrong. No, I think it came out right. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) I mean, there are definitely obviously good programs here. I just thought we were going to be in Boston. It was just like a shock. For me, I didn't really know that much about Chicago. But uh, I think Chicago welcomed me with open arms. I was actually pretty pleased. Since this talk is about Judaism, I really had no idea what a vibrant and really active Jewish community Chicago had, both with the very religious and also with people that are like me, who identify strongly with being Jewish, but don't necessarily make that a, I go to services every week, I send my kids to Jewish day school kind of a thing. But something that is very important to me and when I started a family became even more important to me because that was something that I wanted to have as a family. Are you from the Boston area? Well, I'm from Connecticut, but my husband's from Boston. Is the Jewish community in Boston or Connecticut similar to that of Chicago? And if it's not, how are they different? And I grew up in a like very leafy suburb, very white suburb. My town that I grew up in was actually very Jewish, which meant it was 30% Jewish, which is incredibly high. The next town over where I had lived before, I was the only Jewish kid in my entire elementary school. So there were some laws a long time ago in Connecticut. That's not an accident how that 
kind of happened. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. No Jews, no blacks in certain towns. And that was actually country clubs that were like that till a little bit too recently. In this town that you went to elementary school, was that a different feel for you being Jewish there versus the town that was 30%? Sure. I mean, I, I felt kind of out of it sometimes when I would be the only kid like in my entire school who mm-hmm. would take the day off for Rosh Hashanah or do the things that I was doing. While being Jewish, you're not showing anything outwardly most of the time. Mm-hmm. Our holidays are on a lunar calendar. They fall differently every year, and some school districts get them off, but most do not. I certainly do not now in the workplace, and so I have to sort of actively say, hey, I'm going to celebrate this holiday and leave school or work. How severe was that feeling out of place? Was there things said verbally, or was it you just felt alone in your Jewishness, or was it people were saying mean things, people were treating you unfairly? I don't think it was necessarily super mean. I think it was just kids would be like, oh, why don't you celebrate Easter? That doesn't make any sense. Why wouldn't you celebrate Easter? Or like we had plenty of babysitters and even I had a nanny who was like, well, you're going to deprive your kids of Christmas? More stuff like that. That wasn't like. You moved from elementary school to this town, from one town, and you moved to another one where it's 30%. What made you feel better in that town or not alone? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly nice to work. Wherever you are, feel like there are people that are like you. I certainly don't need to have everyone like me. I really enjoy meeting people that are completely different. But it's hard being the only one. Right. Anything. Race, religion, whatever it is you could list. Gender, sexual orientation, the only one. That's challenging. So Mm -hmm. certainly it was nicer to have a group of people that were doing a similar thing didn't celebrate Christmas. No one said to me, you're depriving it, you know, that kind right. of thing. So what was it like moving here and then finding out that Chicago does have a vibrant Jewish community? Right. So it's completely different as an adult. And to be honest, I really almost knew nobody. I was married at the time, but really had no good friends. Mm-hmm. I had some people that I had been friendly with in college. One in particular was Jewish herself. Yep. Not married at the time is like, oh, want to come to this bar night? And I was like, wow. So I went to this bar night and, well, they were mostly females. I mean, it was clearly like a mixer, meet your husband kind of a thing. But since there are many more women than there were men there, there was like lots of people to talk to. And I thought it was, this is amazing. This happens like almost once a month or even more that people can just get together with all right. these Jewish people and like <laughs> meet people. It just made me feel more comfortable in the city. Outside of mixers, what are the type of things that are going on that made you feel comfortable here? I was early on in my residency, so working very, very hard. But through a woman who used to live in the next town over, who I used to babysit for, Mm -hmm. then had moved to L.A. and knew this rabbi that had relocated from L.A. to Chicago. She was around my age. Her father actually was a pediatric neurologist crazily enough, and sort of hooked me up. That was Lizzie Heideman, and she was just starting this sort of new synagogue that was completely different than the synagogue mm-hmm. that I grew up in, and at the same time, similar in that, and this is one of the reasons why I feel connected to Judaism, is like you open up a prayer book, 
And if you're in Connecticut, you're in Chicago, you're in Israel, you're in Hungary, it's the same. Right. Or similar, similar enough that you can participate and you can feel like, oh, this is similar to what I did. That was a pretty important connection that mm-hmm. I made. Yeah. Then, oh, wow, there's this whole Jewish community in Chicago that I want yeah. to be a part of. How would you describe those denominations and then the intensity levels? So I grew up in a very classically conservative synagogue, not conservative in the way that we would think politically conservative versus liberal, but a synagogue that most of the services are in Hebrew. They're not going to be in English, pretty traditional way of interpreting things, but not a we need to do every single thing that is told to us. That would be a little bit more like orthodox. So I grew up keeping kosher in my parents' home, but being allowed to eat non-kosher food when we went out and that kind of thing. What's interesting about the synagogue that I belong to now is that that service where it's mostly Hebrew is the prayers that we say are the same, but it's like there's so much life to it. There are people playing the bongos. There are people playing instruments. People are clapping. People are dancing. Before and after, people are saying kind of original ways of thinking about it, tying it to modern times, current events, and things like that, which was done to an extent for where I grew up, but even more so. And this synagogue is actually not like affiliated with the traditional denominations, but kind of started its own called the Jewish Emergent Network. I think there are seven of them. Sort of a new movement that says we're Jewish and being Jewish means that we also need to seek social justice and need to be involved in that matter. So this denomination, one of its core tenets is social justice and looking out into the community and saying we need to fix these issues. Yep. And also the first way that we do that is we welcome everyone in. So if you're not Jewish and you're curious, come on in. If you're gay, come on in. If you're whatever it is, if you want to stay for half the service, come on in. That kind of thing, which growing up, One of the things that was, I know, challenging for some people is when you became of age in our synagogue around the age of 12, 13, and you learned a Torah portion, which was all in Hebrew, and you Mm -hmm. did a lot. There was a part of it that you would have to give back in charity and that kind of thing. So if you had one Jewish parent and one non-Jewish parent, the non-Jewish parent couldn't come up with you. So this is sort of, no. Anybody can come up. Mm. You want to be Jewish, you don't have yeah. to convert. We love it, but you don't have to. Yeah, but those are like really small things that are very meaningful to certain denominations within Judaism, right? That would be frowned upon, these these little small changes. Yes or no? Yeah, so certainly the more religious, the more by the book, the more orthodox would certainly say no. The denomination that you belong to is probably growing based on everything that's happening in our current environment, right? Just as certain people get more progressive, they're looking for something different. Is there pushback from the broader Jewish community or rabbinical institutes for what you all are doing? I'm not sure. Not having ever studied there, I think it would seriously depend. Because sometimes I see these things like on TV or YouTube or someone's like, you're not Jewish enough or... You're not keeping kosher and, you know, you're not doing it the right way. My stance on all that, and just openly admit I'm not the most religious, is that your relationship with God is your relationship with 
God. No one should tell you that you're not doing something the right way except for the person that is helping you learn and teaching you about that religion. I think the only times that I like would disagree with that is when people use their relationship with God or their religion for wrong. Sort of use it as an excuse to do something that's, in my mind, pretty abhorrent. But totally. I mean, in general, right? Like, I do it this way, you do it that way. That's fine. You mentioned this dynamic that happens sometimes where one parent is Jewish and one parent is not. Is there a strong push or pull within the community to make sure that both parents are Jewish? You grow up Jewish, you marry a Jewish person? Sure, definitely. I think that people sometimes don't realize the number of Jewish people is minuscule. It's very, very tiny. I think that Jews are concentrated in big cities, are concentrated in places, but it's I think it's like 1.5% of the U.S. or something like that. So mm-hmm. it's really it's really quite small, even though, right, cities like Chicago and New York and L.A., like there's yeah. lots of Jews there and they're talking a lot. So there is this sense that we're small and there's a lot of intermarriage. There's a lot of people who are not marrying Jewish people. I mean, Josh and I have even talked about it. I always say, like, I hope my children will find happiness with someone that's Jewish. I think it's okay. You're saying I value this faith. If you're saying, I don't want you to marry a Catholic because they're just idiots or bad people, that's kind of where I have the problem. Taylor and I, we talk about it, and both of us, you give up some things as far as the culture you grow up with and in by not marrying someone of that same culture and background. But we're both not the type of people that's like, we did this to get away from that, or we wouldn't do this because we don't like white people or we don't like black people. Because there's, there's like two sides of it, right? There are some people that have enough self-hate and they're like, I don't want to marry anybody like me. I don't want that. Had a bad life, had a bad upbringing, this, what, all these reasons, right? On both sides, black, white, religion, all that stuff. I think everything needs to come from a loving place. Celebrating your experiences and whatnot. That's just my personal opinion. In Chicago, do you think the vibrancy is as good or as vibrant as L.A., New York? Is it the same type of community here as it is other places? Yeah, I think that's really hard to say given that, like, I've never even been to L.A. I don't think that I'd be qualified to answer that question. Okay. Is that the politically correct? No, I just don't know the answer because I think that you can't take the community out of the city, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's the background of Chicago. And I think that like Chicago is so different from New York is so different from LA. And I think that certainly unlike being in the very closed area where you're shut off from the rest of the city, I think that my family, especially, I want to consume Chicago as a Jewish person. So it's so much about... Chicago as much as is about of our community. When I travel different places, I always try to find spots that remind me of my experience in Chicago. Like, for example, going to a black community in Seattle, going to a black community in Portland, or going to restaurants like that. I always try to go to them and, and like, observe, like, the differences in how people interact and so like if I go to LA there is a subtle difference between the black communities in like LA right they're just they're more chill and they seem to be very diverse it's not like just black people and then if you go to New York 
it's a very diverse. You can be walking somewhere, you can see all these these folks. That has an effect on the community and how that group of folks act. So that's the only reason I was asking. I think one of the other things that unite Jewish folks here is Israel. There are a lot of people that know where they're from, what region of the world they're from. And one of the things I struggle with is trying to figure out where the hell I'm from, like where my family's from. I've come close to figuring out. But you all have Israel, right? You have a place that says like, hey, come here. This will always be home to you. Being Jewish and practicing Judaism, what does that mean to you to know that you and your, your kids and your family have Israel? At this moment, it brings a lot of sadness, actually, because I have like some pretty amazing memories of going to Israel with my family growing up and some not so amazing memories of going to Israel, like getting off a bus and having a line of people spit on us because it was a very obviously Jewish bus, you know what I mean? And having people there, you know, really not welcome us. And many that do. My wish is that Israel is there for everybody because I think it's an amazing place. And I know this is going to come out a little bit too like Miss America, but I just want peace in the region, right? And I don't have any answers. I don't have any answers at all. It's something that's incredibly hard for me to follow in the news because it feels like there aren't enough solutions and there's only problems. But beyond the politics, having a place internally where the people there practice the way you practice and they say you will always be welcome here. If you want to move here, you can move here. If you want to visit, you can visit here. This is your place. It can be whatever you want it to be, both on a cultural level and on a spiritual level. That part of it has to feel good, right? It's complicated because the government has a lot of very, very religious Jews who are running it who want to make it only a very, very religious place. Israel is interesting in that there's a lot of very secular Jews, meaning Jews that like never step foot in a temple. And then there's a lot of like ultra-Orthodox, incredibly religious Jews. And it's interesting because when you're the dominant religion, you don't feel this need to self-identify. You might not feel this need to like, oh, I need to like have this culture that brings my people together because it's everywhere. That's the fascinating thing. My mom was just telling me one of our family friends who lives in Israel wanted to get married in Israel and she's a conservative Jew you know, middle of the road in terms of religiosity, and she can't get married in Israel. She's not religious enough. I had this understanding that it was like light, medium, heavy, come on, let's let's roll. Come come on back. I think you can go. I think it's it's just Well the way you describe that, that would cause me to have conflicts. Like for example, I did the whole family tree thing, I did the DNA and it came back. Oh, yeah? I was twelve percent Nigerian, it was Cameroonian and Eventually, I'm going to go back, right? And I, I've traced my family back to, like, 1830s in the States. And so all I need to do is link the 1830s to, like, the slave trade, and I'll be good. I just need to know where to go. Say I went back to Nigeria. Yeah. And I was going back to Nigeria, and I get there, and they were like, you're one of us. I see it. You can prove it, but you don't do this, this, and this. That would make me feel, like, some way. Like, you should be embracing me as being a part of the diaspora my family's from here i'm trying to reconnect i bring something to the culture 
I mean, it's a bit different, obviously. I mean, my family's not from Israel. Yeah, my family has yeah. never lived in Israel. Right. My ancestry is almost completely Russian. I don't know all the terminology. It, so just Ashkenazi means that you're from like Eastern Europe. Eastern Europe. And then Sephardic is like Western Europe and Africa. Okay. But I feel like no matter where your Jewish roots take you country why? Yeah. I think you still always have Israel. Do you track back to Russia or the part of Russia that your family's from? Do you feel a connection to that part of the world because your family's from there? I think culturally, you know, I think that it gets you know, a little bit lost, but my great-grandmother spoke Yiddish, kind of a combination of languages. Traditional foods that a lot of Jewish people eat are Russian. You know, there's a lot of similarities <laughs> in the foods. There's certainly connection there, and certainly we eat our falafel as well. The other thing that I wanted to talk about is how do you go about with your family talking about tragedy? There's a long history of Jewish folks being persecuted in the world. How do you talk about those things with your husband? And how do you two come together to say, this is how we want to expose our children to history and, and tell facts, but with kids, it can be hard to expose them whether you're talking about the Holocaust or slavery or anything, but how do you maintain this is who we are, this is what we went through, our, our people went through, but at the same time doing it in such a way that it's impactful without scaring the children or without hurting their development into the Jewish culture? I'm just usually very honest about things. As they come up, we talk about it. And certainly children's books are awesome that way because then mm. I don't have to make it up. There are so many great ones. We have a book about Ruby Bridges that my kids really yep. like. And it's been a great jumping off point because it's visual. There's pictures in it. Yeah, They get upset. And they say, that's so awful. They have students in their class that look a lot of different ways. I mean, I think that they can't imagine having so much fuss about someone attending a school like in the story of Ruby Bridges. But I think that certainly exposing them to that kind of thing, even early on, they have a lot of capacity for love, really. We haven't talked about the Holocaust. We will. I'm sure they'll be exposed. Something was said to my daughter, and so we, we have to be proactive about exposing her to certain things. And one of the books we picked up has powerful or strong, dynamic women in black culture, I think it goes in chronological order. And so it starts with like abolitionists and like former slaves and the term slave comes up, right? And it's like, oh, how do I explain this? You know, and, and then part of me is like, it's too early. But then part of me is like, if a person can say something mean to my daughter about her race, it's not too early. We have to combat ignorance with knowledge and tolerance and exposure. And so I have these beautiful black, white princesses. If someone's out here saying certain things and doing things and treating them a certain way, we've taken the approach, we've got to combat that with knowledge and truth. Like, this is what happened. These may be different times, but there are certain people that still have that anger in their hearts. And those are mean people. And we want to stay away from those mean people but one of the things I've learned through the process, this has nothing to do with religion or spirituality or anything, is that 
not only do I need to teach her that those people are mean, but I need to teach her that you have to live with those people. Those people potentially could be in your life at every stage of your life. You can't avoid it. That kid is still going to be in her class. These people are still going to be around us, and you can't change that. Not only have to teach her the, the truth, to have the emotional intelligence to like be able to get past that and have confidence. And Did I ever think I'd be having that conversation with a six-year-old? No, but welcome to parenthood. <laughs> what are the things beyond the Holocaust, beyond the past? How do you expose your kids at an early age to the culture? Two things popped in my head. You know, the first was Shabbat. My family growing up, most Friday nights, we did Shabbat. Shabbat's great. Shabbat is a time that you're supposed to rest, that you're supposed to say thanks to God or, you know what, to whatever you believe in. It's all good. And it's also very similar to, like, saying grace and a time that we always had a family meal and then we were allowed to do whatever you wanted to do. It wasn't mm -hmm. a forced thing. If you had something else going on, you were allowed to go to that. I just sort of love that every Friday we, like, lit candles we had wine or grape juice. We had this delicious challah bread and we had a home cooked meal together. And we sing the prayers in Hebrew and it's been amazing. You know, and they're short. The whole thing can be done if you want to in five minutes, right? But it's something that my kids look forward to. They love Shabbat. They ask for Shabbat. They love the songs. And like even my little two year old, he can say some of them. They don't know what the words mean, but they know what the essence is. Right. And that's something that. My husband and I, that was like really important to like both of us. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is part of Judaism has always been giving back. That's like incredibly important. There's things called mitzvot, good deeds. And it's absolutely part of being Jewish is loving thy neighbor, taking care of people that can't take care of themselves and giving someone the means to rise up. That's certainly a part of that. And so what's amazing is that there's so many opportunities to do that and to do that Jewishly at times. Tov, which means good, like these Tov Good Deeds Day that you can do randomly. There's a center called The Ark that has social work services. They have a dentist there, all free of charge for Jews in, in that pantry for Jews in need in mm -hmm. Chicagoland. Those opportunities are they're easy to do, and participating as a family mm -hmm. has been very important to me. On average, when I talk to people that are Jewish, they speak about that, giving back, and you don't hear that from a lot of other religions, from just like kind of like the everyday folks. You might hear from the leaders, but like it seems like it's really a part of who you all are, what you do, and how you go about your business. Yeah, and again, I haven't, really been an adult in another city because before I was like in a prolonged adolescence as a <laughs> medical student or like, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it feels like Chicago has a lot of cracks, you know, but there's also a lot of opportunity to do good. You can easily join. Is it hard for someone to convert later in life? When you say certain ceremonies are in Hebrew, I'm like, I have to be spiritual and then I have to learn the language. That's an interesting question. They even have like a class. I think it's considering conversion. I don't know how challenging it is. I mean, I'm sure it's very yeah. time consuming. Yeah. Jewish people like 
part of our tenant isn't to like go and convert people, right? Like it's not to convince, like to go out, like that's never been something to do, like go out and try to convince people to become Jewish. But if you come to us, like we're happy to do that, obviously. Is there one area or a few areas where the Chicago Jewish community could, in your eyes, could be doing better or more? One of the things that I've realized with my kids going to kindergarten next year is that a lot of Jewish people send their kids to Jewish private schools and don't send their kids to public schools. I'm curious how many Jewish kids there are going to be in our public schools. And like, I hope they are. I don't want my kids to feel like the only one. They may be the only Jewish kid in their class. So a way to sort of make them more comfortable, I guess. Someone I work with said it best. I don't want my kids to be a unicorn. You know, I don't want my kid to be the only or the exotic thing or or stand out for something that had nothing to do with them. Them meaning their character and who they were personality-wise. I understand why you're sending your kids to the public school, right? But if they are the only, the question becomes like, is it more beneficial to do that or is it more beneficial to do this other thing. That is not a deal breaker. Like if they happen to be the only Jewish kid, it's not a deal breaker. That wouldn't be a reason that I would pull them from our neighborhood school. Yeah. We don't look at diversity as just like skin color. We look at it as like where the people are from and diversity of thought and socioeconomic. But being real about it, the one that carries all the weight is ethnicity and race. It's important. I want my daughters to see whole bunch of different races. I want them to see a whole bunch of religions. One of the other reasons why I do the podcast, it's documented that I, I knew all these people from different walks of life. And sometimes when we meet earlier, my kids are up and they get to see the people and they're like, this is a different type of person, you know, or I want them to know that like, not only do I like talk the talk, but I, I walk the walk as far as having a diverse group of people around me that's that's a very good education for kids is there anything about judaism that you want people that they may not know about that you think is important i think just have the conversation listen you don't have to have the conversation if someone's not going to be respectful you Mm -hmm. don't have to but i like when my friends ask me questions like they don't every time have to do a podcast but like i like that you ask me questions i like that Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, what's that about? You know, why do you do that? What's that mean? I think that's great because that's how we learn. One of my things that I didn't know about years ago is it essentially like a day of atonement. Like you think about the things that you may have done wrong or that you could have done better. Yom Kippur. There you go. Okay. The day of atonement is for the sins either you don't know that you committed or the sins against God, but the sins against your fellow person, you're supposed to handle face-to-face like you're not supposed to go to synagogue you're supposed to like talk to the person is the due date like the day of atonement or is it yeah that day oh yeah no you're supposed to get it done before like anytime oh so there's actually some confrontation that needs to happen yeah oh sure okay i see that i did not know you know there's certainly a lot of people that have never met a jewish person that's fine be respectful and ask the questions and then you'll know D. 
Deeper Dish is hosted by Farah. Editing, mixing is done by the team at Anamnesis Audio. Produced by me, Farah. Our outro was performed by From Beyond These Walls, and the song is City of Dystopia. If you want to contact us directly, feel free to contact us at deeperdishshy at gmail.com. The website is www.deeperdishshy.com. <laughs>